All right, guys, welcome back to our podcast, Let's Grow Through It. My name is Tessa. And I'm Kristen. And today we just kind of wanted to touch on a little bit of some personal stuff. And I do just want to give a warning that this post or this podcast (laughs) could be a little triggering for some people. We are going to touch base on sexual abuse and betrayal. I know a lot of us, especially as women, we all have a story to tell. It seems like everybody that I've ever talked to, for the most part, it is so extremely common. And um, throughout my 20s, I had to do a lot of work on rewiring the way that I moved forward in my life in a very toxic way from being sexually abused. I've been wanting to have this conversation for a while, but I wanted to kind of build trust with our audience and talk enough about other things before we really dove in on this. So I will say, Kristen, like we have both shared obviously very similar stories and ways that we grew up as kids and we felt like the people that we are supposed to trust that we couldn't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, manly figures in our lives and even though our stories are different I think it it left somewhat of the same imprint on us yeah and kind of how we bonded when we were 20 we were just feeling so let down by mostly boyfriends I think yeah but that stems from your father wound the father wound yeah yeah the closer that we got the more we were like wow we have a lot in common we have a lot of the same kind of trauma if you will <laughs> yes <laughs> so I just want to start and kind of maybe take a lead on the on the podcast today and just kind of dive in on some of my past and how it's affected my present and how I'm rewiring my future. Yeah, and how now, whereas in the past working through these things, we probably wouldn't take a healthy approach to working through them and we just react, whereas now mm-hmm. when these sort of triggers come up, we do our best to be like, oh, this is a trigger, and what is a healthy way to move through this sort of mistrust wound that we have? Yes. So just a little bit of a background. My parents split up when I was about three months old, and they were kind of going through a divorce when they got pregnant with me. So my mom remarried around the time that I was three, almost four. I was pretty young. And um, this man, we'll just call Jim, he was my stepfather throughout I think it was like almost 18 years he was they were married so he was around for a long time around the time that I was nine my mom started having some health issues and she kind of needed there was a lot of family personal stuff going on at that time I was primarily living with her I only saw my dad every other weekend um she just kind of felt like she needed to get away she needed to move and so they relocated down to Florida and we were living in Georgia at the time. And so I went to go live with my dad full time. That was just a whole story in itself. It just wasn't a good situation. My dad has made like leaps and bounds on trying to make things right, but he wasn't really the best dad growing up. He's a very absent father, even in the times that I lived with him. And it was starting to very negatively affect me. I was suppressing a lot of emotions. You know, I just had this huge separation from my mom at nine. So it's such a weird time already. Yeah. Um, and I didn't feel like I got the support that I needed. And and now knowing me, like knowing that I'm 
this empath and I feel very deeply. I see now why it affected me so poorly. I mean, cause I just, I didn't have that kind of secure emotional relationship with my dad where I could say like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. And there was support there. Yeah, We didn't talk about it and we just kept going. And that was really hard for me. So I suppressed a lot emotionally, which then led me to having an eating disorder. And that was kind of the turning point for everything. You know, my mom, this was over the course of two years that I lived with my dad. And so my mom had gotten into a better place and her and Jim were going to church a lot and kind of going on this new path and she had gotten really healthy. So when she had seen me and she had kind of seen like, okay, this eating disorder is, it's really bad. And they decided that I was going to move down to Florida and stay with my mom and Jim full time. So around that time, I'm 11, almost 12. I had never really felt any awkwardness or uncomfortableness around Jim as a kid. But I started to around the age of 12. Just little things that he would do. It was more just like this vibe. I could feel that he was attracted to me. And I didn't really know at that time that that's what it was. Yeah. But I felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. He would make comments. He was very overly affectionate with me. Um, There was starting to get to this point where even as a kid, I remember he was dropping me off at school in the mornings. And I would have these visions of like an escape route. Like I was so afraid that he was going to rape me. (sighs) It was really weird. It was like as a kid, I was afraid of that for some reason. Just the energy that he would put off, you know? And I think around that same time, I had woken up one night in the middle of the night and he was standing around the corner in my bed and watching me sleep. And I remember just having this feeling of like, I could feel the heat coming off of my neck. Like I was so angry and just like, what is going on? You know, like just not really sure kind of how to react or what exactly was going on. To do in that moment. Exactly. So I kind of just kept it in for a while until I was starting to get really afraid. I remember I was starting to sleep with my door locked and I just kind of felt like I needed to tell my mom, Mm -hmm. you know? So I ended up having that conversation with her and I was just kind of like, you know, there's some things that Jim is doing that's making me feel pretty uncomfortable. And there's nothing like specifically that had happened, but like I remember him, like, he would just like rub my leg and he would always come up behind me and like rub on my neck and just like, I always felt like he was hitting on me. Yeah. I was starting to feel very unsafe. So of course my mom confronted him and just said, hey, Tuss is feeling this way. You know, what's going on? And of course he denied it and said, you know, that I just didn't know how to be loved by a father. He felt like I needed a lot of help and that I needed to start going to therapy and that I was showing signs of depression and that it was really going to start affecting my relationship with him because he wasn't feeling like he was able to express love for me in a fatherly way because of my problems with my dad as a kid. When she had told me that, you know, it's kind of just like, okay, maybe there's something wrong with me. You know, maybe, maybe it is me. And I remember he sat me down and he was like, you know, I don't even see you that way. And I really think that, you know, we need to get you on medication and in therapy. And I think as a kid, I was just like, okay, maybe they're seeing something that I, I don't see. Yeah. And maybe I do need help. You know, I mean, it's like no secret that I was really struggling. So I started therapy. I started antidepressants at 12 years old, which I just look back now and just, I don't blame my mom knowing him and looking back. He 
was very good at manipulating yeah. the situation to hide what was really going on. But I think at that age, I had kind of learned for the first time that I couldn't trust myself. I couldn't trust my intuition. I couldn't trust a bad vibe. And I thought there was something wrong with me. So throughout that time, you know, we had kind of built this relationship where I had just thought he just like loved me as a daughter. You know, I called him dad. There was a period of time where I remember things were still, there were definitely always moments of feeling uncomfortable, but I stopped feeling unsafe. Well, you were on antidepressants yeah that will stop you from feeling emotions yeah but I also think that I didn't know the difference anymore yeah I didn't know that I could trust myself I had lost that Mm -hmm. so feeling unsafe maybe I really did feel unsafe but I just didn't know anymore yeah so it's hard to like look back and say did those things stop because I still remember you know like on driving he would move the rear view mirror down like if I was wearing a skirt he would move it down to like where my legs were and I could tell because what I would see in his rear view mirror is I would see like his chest. I remember one time we stopped and got gas and I got into the front seat because I wanted to see what he was seeing. And I sat up just a little bit to where he sat and it was right down at the bottom cushion of the chair that I was sitting on. So I knew that he was looking at me, mm-hmm. my on my skirt, you know? And I remember just like, I had to learn to do things like that, to go the extra mile to see what was really going on because I didn't feel like I could say anything. And I felt like nothing was really being done because it was projected onto me. And I'd kind of learned to always be on the lookout to keep me safe. I think around the time that I turned 16, my mom and Jim had started to have some problems. And we had moved away to Jacksonville, which was about four hours away from where we were living at that time in Florida. At this point, it had been years. So I had kind of felt like we had a really solid relationship. You know, he got me my first car. He was always there for me when me and my mom would have little tiffs. You know, he was the one that would come into the room and kind of console me. And I think I had just adjusted to maybe this was normal that he was doing these things, Mm -hmm. you know. Maybe that is how you're supposed to be loved by a father. Um, Because my father definitely wasn't ever affectionate or emotional, you know. So I really didn't know. Around that time, we had moved and they had started having problems. And I remember we had a three-bedroom house. So it was the master on one side of the house. And then it was two bedrooms next to each other on the other side of the house. He was in the bedroom next to mine on the other side of the house. They had stopped sleeping in the same bed. And I remember that's whenever that feeling of feeling afraid again started to come up. Um, I had started dating a guy in Jacksonville, which you know very well of (laughs) because he was in my life for a while. But I was like very in love with this guy, you know, and Jim was weirdly jealous of him, but like put off this vibe of like that he was jealous of him. And just kind of he was way too involved in the whole thing. I mean, he would snoop through my stuff. He monitored everything I did on the computer. It was just kind of obsessive. And the way that he made that boyfriend feel was like he was trying to intimidate him, Mm -hmm. you know, and not as like in a father way. So I remember I was about to leave for college, and at this point I was around 17. Me and that boyfriend had broken up, but we still had feelings for each other, and I was about to move away like that next week. So I remember we had gone to church, and I had come home pretty late, and we were on the phone, me and this boyfriend, we were on the phone. How my bed was set up, the bed faced the door, so I was kind of laying on my bed facing away from the door. And it was really late in the middle of the night, it was like one or two. And he, Jim, 
stormed in my room and he was naked (laughs) and he had an erection and he said I want you to put on that pretty dress that I like and I was on the phone so like when I turned around I was like what and he saw that I was on the phone and he goes who are you talking to and I said the boyfriend's name and he immediately turned out and walked away and went back into his room And I remember that night being like, even that boyfriend was like, what just happened? And I was like, oh, nothing. And I was trying to like wrap my head around it. But I was like, okay, maybe he was sleepwalking, you know, like maybe that wasn't what just happened. So I kind of, again, just like put it out of my mind. I thought I was thinking differently. Mm -hmm. So I ended up moving away and we kept in very close contact for that whole time for years, actually. And he would come down and see me in college a lot. And I had stopped feeling like at that time that he was doing anything uncomfortable. He would never made me feel uncomfortable. He felt strictly like a father. I felt very grateful for him. And so I don't know, I guess I was starting to believe that maybe it was really me. So around the time that I was 19, we had drove up to Georgia together for my sister's wedding. We had a five hour drive and he was just like, you know, I just want you to know, like I'm going to church again. And I feel like I really need to come clean about a lot of this stuff. He was like, you know, remember whenever you were younger and you felt like you were uncomfortable and like I was being inappropriate. And I was like, yeah, of course I remember, you know. And he was just like, well, I just want to let you know that you were right. And that I really struggled with feeling in love with you your whole life. And he had basically like just come clean about everything that I had known, but that I thought maybe I didn't know. He said, you know, I never acted on anything except for that one time that I wanted to have a physical encounter with you. And I think you know what that is. And so I, of course, know that it was that time that he walked into my room. And to think, you know, I was 17 and he was coming in to rape me, (sighs) you know, is traumatic in itself, you know. So in that span of a five-hour trip where he's, like, coming clean, I felt a million pounds of heaviness on me. It was, like, years of lies and manipulation and making me out to think that I was the one who had issues all to cover up this huge lie for him was felt so detrimental to me. Remember that night my sister and I was the night before her wedding and I was her maid of honor. She was stressed out. I was stressed out about the conversation that had just happened. And I remember my mom was like, okay, do you guys want a muscle relaxer? You know, which is like, I mean, I can't believe she did that. But of course we took it. My sister and I slept together that night. So I had felt like for the first time, like I was going to tell somebody because I was on a narcotic yeah (laughs) but now especially knowing that it was true and of course my sister picked up stuff along the way too yeah so I had ended up telling her everything that night and that you know what he had said and the incident when he walked into my room when I was 17 and how he kind of admitted that that he was going to act on it anyway um at that time we had kind of all cut off contact with him um for a little bit because we were just like all like really weirded out we had had some weeks to pass and just a lot of stuff go down and just for her protection and just because it's her story yeah i don't want to get too far into it but basically what we had found out was that he had been molesting her we went to the police and she testified and because i had had some history with him as well i was subpoenaed and i had to testify and it was a really dark dark time for me i was 19 and every i felt like everything was a lie 
And I think the hardest thing for me was that even though I hated him for what he did, I also loved him like a dad. And so I felt like I was losing my dad and it felt so messed up to think that, you know, to like, how can I hate somebody and grieve somebody at the same time? So that was just a really hard time for me. And I remember going out, it was actually, we went out together. Mm -hmm. We went out to Jackson's and we were with some of the SAE boys (laughs) and we were on a party bus. And I remember I was, yeah, yeah. lots of pictures from that night. Yeah. (laughs) I, that was one of the first times that I really remember blacking out, like throwing up, blacking out. And I remember the next day, you know, still you kind of have that like buzz, you know, where you just like feel good. And I remember feeling like, wow, that was the first time that I could like escape from what was really going on in my Yeah, because I didn't even really know that any of this was going on. No, I didn't talk about yeah. it. I didn't, I had learned to suppress that stuff. It was also like such a big thing that like, how do you really tell somebody? Especially like we had just really started hanging out. Like I wasn't about to like drop all that on people, you know? But yeah, throughout that whole summer, I was back and forth to Jacksonville and in and out of lawyer's offices. And it was just really awful. And I had fallen into just like a really terrible way to dealing with it, which was to suppress it and drink and black out, you know, jump from one relationship to another and just be if I was afraid to be alone and I was afraid to deal with it all. And it was just was too heavy. Yeah, afraid to feel it all. Yeah, it was way too heavy to feel it all. So we ended up putting him in jail. I really suppressed it for years. I saw it come out into little parts of my relationship of just feeling like that mistrust. And, you know, this was around the time that I was a, had met my ex-husband. And this was somebody that I, like, really wanted to be with. And so I wanted to get all this stuff right. We would have these fights and stuff. And of me just feeling like I can't trust him and he would you know the more that we would talk about it it would always lead back to Jim it would always lead back to me crying and breaking down and being like I don't know what's wrong with me like I just don't know how I'm supposed to how I'm supposed to move on from this Mm -hmm. you know like how do you recover from that sort of situation so after we had gotten married and I had had Marley was whenever it was a huge awakening for me. And I tell my girls that I have in my life now that I know that we're sexually abused and that haven't really dealt with it. I'm like, I'm telling you, you better deal with this now because the second that you have a kid, whether you like it or not, is I just feel like motherhood did that for me. Mm-hmm. It made me face things because motherhood shook me to my core. And I think especially having a little girl. Yeah. I was just like, I had all this fear of like, am I going to be able to keep her safe? I was not sexually abused when I was a child, but I still have that fear yeah. about my child. So I can't even imagine what it's like if you went through that. Yeah. And I think a lot of what messed with me too is having a child and having that dynamic. Even though I wasn't biologically his, I mean, I was three when he met me, so... You know, yeah, I was there yeah. your whole life as I couldn't, father. Yeah, I couldn't understand how he could find me attractive. And that really messed with me after having a daughter. Mm-hmm. Like, I would just look at her and be like, she's just so innocent. And, like, just, like, this is my kid. And, like, I want to protect her from life. And, like, how could you betray her? Yeah. You know, like, I was thinking of me as that little kid, you know, and just thinking, like, how could you do that to her? Like, knowing everything that she had gone through. And you were supposed to be her safe place. That really messed with me. That was really hard for me for a while. And that's whenever I started hypnotherapy. I would get really triggered by things. 
um, especially around sex. Like I kind of went the opposite where it was like I want, I was a very hypersexual person. And so in my relationship, it's like if we weren't having sex all the time, every day, I would be triggered and I would be like offended that he wasn't pursuing me sexually and that that meant that he didn't love me, you know? And so he kind of helped me to see this, like something's, something needs to be worked out here. And I knew I couldn't just go into like a place and just talk to somebody. Like I needed like some serious deep rewiring. And I know I've touched on her before, but her name is Tamara. She's based out of St. Petersburg and she is amazing. I will refer her till the day that I die because she, we did so much work over the course of years. And of course I had to take breaks, you know, and it, it got really intense, but we did hypnotherapy sessions together where I could go back in time of like the first time that I felt these triggers. You know, we identified the emotion that I felt when I was triggered. And the first time that I felt that, you know, I remember feeling like, okay, my husband isn't pursuing me sexually. He doesn't love me. And I would get so mad. And she would be like, when was the first time that you felt that emotion? And that first time that I felt that emotion was the first time that I saw Jim watching me sleep. That just anger that rolls off your neck, you know? And I started realizing how it was kind of correlated Mm -hmm. of how I needed to really rewire that thought that somebody pursuing me sexually doesn't mean that they love me. And it's not a requirement. That is like a bonus. Mm -hmm. You know, there's other things that need to be there. Like that can't be what I base my thinking of love around. And so I really had to rewire that. And I will say like I have never to this day ever been triggered by that ever again. Like it has just completely gone. I still consider myself a sexual person, but I do not base love on sex. Yeah, That is not a cross for me anymore. And so I'm really thankful for her for a lot of ways that she kind of helped me rewire that way of thinking but throughout the course of my life especially even after therapy you know I find myself in these situations in a relationship where and I've even called you before and I'm like I don't know if it's just like me or if it's like real you know mm-hmm. like I still can get confused on what it is on if it's my intuition or if it's my fear and my mistrust from growing up like that, you know, and just never feeling safe, especially sexually. I think I'm learning to be more mindful of it and to be able to sit with it, I think, more than I ever have. In the past, I've always wanted to run and just kind of like keep myself busy or kind of live out that trigger and just be like, well, let's go for it. Yeah, Yeah. this is why I'm like this because this is what I've gone through. And I've kind of learned that you can't do that. You know, you're, you're not responsible for what people do to trigger you, but you're responsible by how you react act to feeling triggered Mm -hmm. and that has been really hard for me I've had to like really learn to just be uncomfortable and be okay with being uncomfortable until I come to a place of feeling peace whichever direction that takes me you know knowing that I can trust myself I do know not only that but I feel like the universe is going to expose it anyways Mm -hmm. and so I don't have to carry that burden you know that I can kind of just sit back and live my truth and focus on me And that's how I want to live anyways, you know, of not like obsessing over this situation of looking for betrayal in every single thing that makes me uncomfortable. Like, oh, are they about to betray me? Are they about to like cheat on me? Like, I remember that's why it was such a big issue in my marriage because that was like the one thing that I said, like, don't ever cheat on me because it hits that betrayal trauma that I had had with Jim of like, I 
feel like he did the ultimate betrayal. Mm -hmm. Like I was supposed to trust him and he made me think that I could and that there was something wrong with me. Like he betrayed me. And gaslit you. And he gaslit me and manipulated me. It's very much like, I mean, not the same thing, but the same sort of elements that show up when you're being cheated on and that person is manipulating you and gaslighting you and convincing you that you're the problem and you're crazy so that they can get away with the bad thing that they're doing. To cover up what they're doing. Yeah. That is like such a deep wound for Mm -hmm. me. I just, and I always told my ex-husband, like, that's like the one thing. Just, like, don't do that one thing. You know, when he had cheated on me, it was just, like, I was so thankful that I had done years and years and years of work on healing my trauma from my past and, like, that inner child wound because I don't know what would have happened to me if I didn't. Yeah. I feel like I would have really spiraled. And I feel like it was such a blessing that I was pregnant because just being pregnant, like, really keeps me stable like just having that reason to stay sane yeah because I knew that my baby I mean I was seven months pregnant when he cheated on me so I knew my baby was feeling what I was feeling Mm -hmm. and that was really hard for me because I was feeling very heartbroken but I didn't feel like I could like act it's not like I could go smoke weed or like go drink you know like I couldn't escape it I had to sit with it and I'm thankful for that now because that is really truly the most healing thing that you can do in that moment is to sit with it even when it's eating you alive yeah don't run embrace it it doesn't have to be a happy embrace no but just to sit with it and acknowledge it and hold it tight I feel like has been so healing for me over the course of the years yeah I never used to be like yeah I know that's the biggest difference I think in how I handle things now I know that feeling is healing there would be times through this last year I would just be crying oh those sobs you know and just hating the way that I was feeling but just knowing that this hurt is actually healing me and just being like this isn't forever yeah you gotta process this stuff and you gotta feel it to be able to properly release it so it doesn't come back up out of nowhere and ruin your life yeah and I feel like if you don't heal these parts of you it will seep through every part of your life Mm -hmm. and subconsciously too like you won't even consciously be be doing these things you just you're acting out of trauma and triggers and completely unaware of what you're doing and yeah sabotaging any chance of happiness that you have yeah it's so true so I feel like just like step one, like I had to just sit with it and I was, I'm thankful for all of it now. You know, I think it's all led to a major healing that maybe I wouldn't have gotten any other way. Yeah. You know, I think that it was so correlated and it, it was hu- huge problems that showed up in my marriage. And I think that one thing that really triggered me was that I was seeing signs of like this person is maybe not as faithful and I wanted to control that before he would act on it and wanted to kind of control what he was doing so that he wouldn't Mm -hmm. that didn't work you know like he still cheated on me I think it just it hit something for me where it was just like you made me deny my truth and I think it was just this huge awakening when I left him and I think we both felt it when we left our husbands it's not to say that it wasn't hard and that we had moments of heartbreak and darkness and like what life felt like was going to be over you know and like just that uncertainty Mm -hmm. but there was also just this feeling of choosing yourself over somebody who didn't choose you yeah and also like the truth thing like knowing like okay I'm I'm living my truth now because there's not a person here like convincing me 
that I'm crazy. Yeah. Owning your truth. Yes. Living your truth. Having that driving your car is like that was that was huge for me mm-hmm, i think i same. really needed that yeah and i know you did too i think it was kind of our first times in our lives where we were put in a situation where we chose ourselves. yep and there wasn't that's not to say that we didn't leave a lot behind you know we had kids and a marriage and you know you had a bus but i had a house it's the same thing you know like we had lives mm-hmm. and so it felt like, you know, you go back and forth, like, am I doing the right thing? And it's just like, you are doing the right thing. You choose yourself and your truth. And of course, like, I will vouch, like, try to work it out with your right, husband before yeah. you leave. But in that, our situation, I feel like we both made the right choice. And I think that that in itself healed a lot for me as far as owning my truth and knowing that I can trust myself and knowing that I'm going to be okay, that it's so much better to go to sleep at night knowing no one's that, betraying you. Yeah, yeah. And not being feeling like constantly feeling like that person that's sleeping beside you betrayed you mm-hmm. in the worst way. Yeah. You know, that was just, that was really hard for me. You know, too, we've spoke about the inner work, the book a lot. We've obviously dropped their name before. I just recommend this to anybody who has gone through um, being sexually abused or really like anything. Yeah. I life. mean, any kind of. Just really, if you're alive, yeah, you should read the book. Just really, if you're alive, yeah, you should read the book. The thing that I love about the book is, you know, you can you can feel really confused moving forward. Like, how do I now act in these certain situations? And what I like about the book is it will tell you, like, for me, you know, I have the wound of mistrust, and so it will show you on a whole page of like. These are your triggers and this is what you might do if you're an avoidant or if like you're over anxious. Mm -hmm. These are the two different ways that you could go. And then you'll flip to a page on like how to deal with it. And And how how to like change your thoughts too. Because it'll say these are the things that you're thinking if you're you're like acting out of traumas or whatever. And then the new narrative is this one. And then you start telling yourself that. I stumbled across that book whenever I was going through the darkest time of my life Mm -hmm. when... I was trying to save my marriage and think didn't know if my husband was cheating on me yet. And then I found that book and it was like just a step-by-step on how to get out of the darkness yeah. and rewire your brain to get to a place of inner peace and happiness. Yeah. Oh, man, it's it's really amazing. Yeah. And it's also triggering. Like, it's also hard. It can be triggering, but it also is just when you apply it to your life and you and how you want to show up in life, it, it really helps heal. Yeah. And I think naturally we have that resistance because in our mind, you know, that's kind of the war, right? Is like we're trying to get out of our mind so that we can live through like our soul and like through our heart. But our mind is there to keep us safe Mm -hmm. and to protect us. And so when we go through trauma, your mind is going to be more resistant to doing those things because it's setting off setting off all those alarms that that's not going to keep you safe. Right, it's not a safe thing to do. Right, you you've got to be in control and you've got to act out. But those are all the things that keep you miserable and you don't yeah. even you're unaware of it because you don't know what inner peace and happiness is until you learn how to silence that voice in your mind and move through that to the other side. Exactly. And that is why I will vouch for meditation. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you're religious, if you're not religious, meditation is for everyone. Yeah. It is a way to free yourself from that sort of thinking. From your mind. From your, your mind. Your mind can be a prison. Yeah. If you don't learn how to control it. It's a muscle and meditation is how you work out that muscle. Yeah. And it and it really takes practice and not everybody can get it right. It's yeah. like it takes 
took me years to like be able to get to a place where I was like pretty solid in meditation mm-hmm. or like even just fell back on meditation. Yeah. You know, like a situation would come up and be like, okay, I'm going to meditate. It took me a while to get to that trust level with meditation. But once I started seeing how it really played out in my life and how it really made me be like, okay, I feel different now. Mm-hmm. You know, like I had to meditate a lot when I first found out that my husband cheated on me because yeah, same. My mind was not safe. I mean, I was spiraling every second of every day. Same. All day, every day. Just a dark place to be inside my mind. Yeah, it's like running back on like how it happened or details of how it happened. Oh my gosh, yeah. Or what actually happened because I was like, nothing happened. I'm like, but no, there was this time where I saw something and then maybe, well, you know, your imagination is, yeah, I always told my ex because he deleted a bunch of text messages and that's how I kind of found out there was something going on but I was like you deleting those text messages was worse than you just letting me read it because now my mind is just making up well crazy but actually not crazy because I was right about everything yeah oh so tough how do you become a healthier person after going through immense amount of betrayal and especially through sexual abuse and you know, I think that that was like a huge major form of sexual abuse for me, but I was also molested as a kid by my cousin, which was another thing that was so triggering about Jim was that he had known that about me. And so when he wasn't making me feel safe, I was just kind of like, how could you do that? Knowing that a cousin of mine molested me. And also as an adult, I was 24 and I was drugged and I was raped and I would have never known. I never would have known this if I wasn't on my period and kind of a TMI conversation to have, but I'm just really thankful that I was on my period. Yeah, I remember. I remember that. And this is just making me think of that movie, Promising Young Women, where, have you ever seen that movie? No, but we've talked about it. Okay, I remember when that happened and you saying that it wasn't rape because you were like, well, I got too drunk, you know, and it was my fault. And I was just like, no, but I had a story just like that where I was like, oh, but it was my fault. But then when I watched that movie, I was like, no, that was rape. Those guys wasn't consent. There was no consent given. No. And that is rape. It doesn't matter if I know you. It doesn't matter if we fooled around before. Like if I'm not saying, yes, I want to have sex with you and you have sex with me, your rapist yeah and that movie opened my eyes up to that where there's so many women who have been sexually assaulted and they don't even think that they've been sexually assaulted because they think it's their fault because they put themselves in the position no you could be butt naked sprawled eagle on a bed passed out and if there's not a rapist in the room you won't get raped it's true anyway it's that's a very triggering movie but i do feel like anybody who's going to go through like the party scene or really just, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot, but it, it really opened my mind to like, wow, there's just a lot of people that have been sexually assaulted and they don't even know it. Yeah. And I think in the way that it's done sometimes, like I had hooked up with this person before. Right. So you don't even think about it like that. Cause you're like, right. well, before I've had sex with him. Yeah. And it's like, that it doesn't wasn't a stranger, mean it's okay. It wasn't. Yeah. Like just off the street. But before I blacked out, I was fighting. I was saying, no, I didn't want to. The next day when I had woken up, he had ripped my shorts. I remember my short, the back pocket was ripped. Like he was aggressively trying to get me. And he told you that you guys didn't have sex. Right. So that next morning I woke up and I was 
going to change my tampon and I couldn't find my tampon. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, I had asked him, I said, did we have sex last night? And he said, no, you told me no. And I was like, oh man, I hope I didn't like take my tampon tampon out somewhere, you know, like we were like at these people's houses that I didn't even know. And so I had just thought like, maybe I just blacked out and you know, I was given GHB, which is kind of like a roofie, so I had no memory whatsoever. I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know if I went to sleep. I didn't know if I was still partying. I didn't know. I have no memory. But later that day, I went to go change my tampon. Again, TMI, but like two tampons. <laughs> We're all probably women here. <laughs> yeah. Two tampons came out. He did have sex with me. Uh, it just made my tampon go all the way up there, you know? And so, like, that's the only way that I know that he raped me. And I did. I was like, I wasn't really raped, you know? Yeah, like, you're probably, like, kind of friends with this guy. And so it's, like, right. hard. And I was just really drunk. Yeah. No, that's not... Ugh, that no, is something I don't... Yeah, with our daughters, they're going to know that's rape. If anyone does anything like that to you or your friends, that's yeah. rape and we're going for it. We are pressing charges for that. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm already psycho with my daughter. Yeah. I don't even know how I'm going to be able to... Like, I mean, I have rules and boundaries and that plays out on like how I kind of cope and deal. But like Marley does not go alone in a room with a man. I don't care yeah. if it's somebody that I trust. She does not go alone with the door shut. Same. I read a book whenever Brom was like eight months old called Spilled Milk and it's about a girl who was sexually abused by her father yeah. her whole life until she was like 18 and then she finally got him put in jail for it. It was an accidental read like I wasn't trying to read that book and then I like I thought it was a different book and then I was reading it and I was it's actually a really good book but it messed me up and at the, the end of it the woman became a sexual abuse advocate mm-hmm. And the thing that she said that I think messed me up the most is 95% of sexual abuse and sexual assault cases aren't from strangers, aren't from the boogeyman in the alleyway. It's from the people that you know and trust the most. You don't want to think that about anybody, but it's just like, it's always, it's always a possibility. And so it's just. Well, that's how I feel. It's always in the back of my mind. Yeah. No matter what, it's just in the back of my mind because of what I've gone through. I've seen it. You know, you think the worst because you've seen the worst. Yeah. It's kind of hard to rewire and just move forward. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we are just kind of, we will always carry that. Yeah. Trying to rewire and be- and believe, you know, that you can trust people is something that I'm trying to do. Like, I can trust people. And specifically, I can trust men. Like, I can't, there are men that are trustworthy. And, and knowing now that I have enough intuition yeah. And I pay attention to my intuition now. Yeah. If there's something that feels unsafe, my maternal instincts are going to pick up on that and shut it down right yeah. away. Yeah, it's so true. I do think that that's all that we have. You know, we re- we recover and we heal, but the best thing that we are left with is the knowledge and our intuition mm-hmm. of just moving forward. Learning to trust ourselves is key and being the biggest advocate for yourself and your intuition yeah is that's what keeps us safe that's our gift i do just want to say too to anybody who's listening and who has struggled with sexual abuse my form of communication is always open anyone can reach out to me i am more than willing to have a conversation and just be there and be that support i do just want to encourage therapy and like doing Mm -hmm. the work and like really working on this stuff because it is really hard to navigate but 
if you're feeling alone and you feel like you need someone, I just want to open that door that I'm there. And also just doing your inner work. I think what's the answer to how do you move through this or how do you heal through this, whatever it is, it's doing the inner work. And that starts with therapy and that starts with reading books like the inner workbook and then learning how to like process and move through things. Yep. And I think Sage is crying right now. All right, y'all, sorry to abruptly wrap this episode up, but motherhood calls and Tessa had to attend to a crying baby and then pick up another one from school. So we are going to wrap this episode up here hopefully this reached the people who needed to hear it i know this is a, a kind of tough topic to talk about but it is also one of those things where silence only benefits the abuser and so if you have a story to share you should talk about it it will help you heal it'll help others feel like they're not alone who are going through something like that and so that's why tessa really wanted to share this story and we want to talk about this subject on that note we will see you guys next week and we hope you all have a very good thanksgiving if you are in the united states and you celebrate that holiday and if not just have a great week and we'll see you next week.